0: You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with my guest, Mr. Jim Case, the author of Fear is a Choice. And when we come back, we will be discussing exactly that. Good evening, Jim. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. It's the top of the 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in New York City. Thank you for being with me on the show.
1: Oh, Fantastic. Thank you, Julian. Glad to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yes, I am too, because I think this is a first for myself and the listeners of 247 Real Talk, but very relevant to our time and, and to what's going on in the mm-hmm. world today and I think it says it all when I introduced you and your book is fear is a choice. So before we get into the, the meat of that matter, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself?
1: All right. Well, how far back do you want me to go? (laughs) (laughs) My, my, uh, my journey has been an extraordinary one. Um, uh, uh, I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania, lived in New York City for a while, um, lived in Arizona and was married to a woman for 24 years um, and um, uh, actually opened and worked a residential, a natural residential healing center in Arizona for, I think we were there for about seven years. So had a lot of exposure early to um, a lot of alternative therapy type stuff, but we were also working with allopathic medicine. So I was working with people with everything from uh, MS to AIDS to Lupus to cancer um, to all different types of things. So there was it was a widespread of experience um, helping people transition as well as helping people get well. And and some of those people are alive and thriving today, um, which is which is an awesome thing. And uh, that journey then took me to California, um, and and. uh, The long, short version of the story, because I came out when I was a, what is when when I was a sophomore in high school, and then I got married to a woman and was married to her for 24 years, and then at the end of that marriage, um, uh, was in between Arizona and San Diego, and and have since now been married to a man. I was married to my husband now for 11 years, and uh, and so this evolution has been quite extraordinary in my life, and and so I've had a lot of a lot of experiences um, with the you know the, the consciousness of fear and and how that impacts me um i left my parents home when i was 15 and a half 16 years old so i was out in the world early and exposed to you know a, a lot of stuff um i was I tried to go into the acting business for a long time and that um didn't have the skin for that when i was a young man <laughs> so um and so that brings me to um you know i'm now in colorado um we've been here for about two and a half years uh, Extraordinary it gave me the opportunity to get my book published, and um, to build this this process and this experience that I've been living, which is you know about understanding fear as a choice and helping people to change their relationship with fear.
0: Okay, so that that's a good introduction. So, what what really tell us about your experience with fear? Because I'm, I'm going to have a lot of questions as we go along this conversation. Because I think that, I, I, I would bet, and I think it would be a good bet, that every single human being has you know, their own level of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of us can simply live with it in a, in a, as it exists in a parallel universe. And for some of us, it holds us back a little bit. And then for some of us, it cripples us and we can, we can never reach our true potential, not because of our ability, but because of fear.
1: Uh, Beautifully said, Um, quite frankly, the, you know, my experience being a young person, you know, I came at this, I've come at the, I remember standing in front of my parents and this was after I'd left and I had gone back because I had, um, I met a friend, uh, my best friend actually was in college and I went to visit her and I, had, and, and I did not graduate high school because of having left home so early. And meeting her, in high, meeting her in college, I decided I had to have that experience. And so I had talked to my parents and at that point and, and I was going to go, I needed to have somebody co-sign for a student loan so I could do that. And I said to them, quite frankly, I want you to understand I'm not going to college for grades, I'm going to college for the experience. And I'm going to do the best I can, but I want to be honest about it because that's really been the whole thrust of my life for 56 years has been experiences. And and because I left home so young and because I was out in the world, you know, making my way and, and trying to find my way through all of the different experiences, uh, you know, I developed, a, I, I developed a really powerful arrogance early on in my life, which I think saved me to a point. Um, but that ended up changing when I started really getting on my own path as it were as my when I was starting to in my own spiritual life starting to see how uh the that wasn't working and then realizing that that was all driven by fear that the arrogance was simply covering and protecting the fact that I was terrified <laughs> you know being in the in the big bad world trying to wend my way and learning how to rent apartments and how to get jobs when I wasn't legally old enough and you know, uh, and that just, and then, and then, being a young gay man on top of that, um, I, I, you know, I've I've confronted a lot, and and so it forced me in my own life experience to stand in my in my experience in a way that I could embrace what I was feeling without having it overwhelm me, and that took a lot. It took time. It took a lot of time because you have to you have to understand what the triggers of your fear are. Um and, and that's really what I spent a great deal of time uncovering is the layers of layers and layers of stuff that I found wasn't necessarily I shouldn't say necessarily wasn't anything to do with uh, me being a bad or bad person or that I'd done something that I should be afraid or that, you know, some negative connotation to that. I started to discover so much of it was stuff that was entrained in my experience just being a human being just the fact that i you know that i popped out of my mother's womb and here i am on the planet earth there's a process a sort of, of of indoctrination or of and i don't mean that in any kind of conspiratorial type of fashion i mean it strictly from the reality of you come into a culture and that culture wants you to become a part of that culture and that environment and the family unit and all of those things so they have a profound impact on the fear, me- the fear mechanism in the body, because I believe in my experience that we start experiencing that from the from inside the womb, from whatever your mom and dad are are going through. So, it's an evolutionary process. But when you get old enough and and get to a point in your life where you can start, and when I say old enough, I mean I mean maturity level, like not five, six, seven years old, but once you get into the, the breath of your life where you're able to reflect on your experiences and and what's going on this this process of uncovering my own fear experience um really brought to light how much of it was not of my making but I had an opportunity to change. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes it does. But that let's 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 take our my audience on the journey here. So okay. if you if you're willing to be vulnerable enough start off by telling us some of More details about some of your fears.
1: Okay. Um, So some of the things that I confronted, I think the biggest, I mean, I, I, when I was in 10th grade, um, I, is when I came out in high school. Um, I was a kid um, and, and never really felt like I fit in. But at the same time I was having all of these experiences, all this, these feelings, all this stuff that wasn't new to me, because even even prior to coming to tenth grade, that that whole you know my even through my childhood, I had the same experience. But bringing that into the world in the high school in the eighties was really difficult um, because I was going through so many different things and, and not having any kind of anchoring system because I was struggling at home and I was struggling at school, and I was having identity crisis, and, and so all of that was kind of culminating. Um, so what I developed at that point, I think, is where the arrogance came in as a young person. Now, if I flash forward to I was living in New York, and um, I, I had met the woman that I was going to end up marrying. I had met her in California about six months before this, but she would come to New York I was assisting her with some, with some classes and things that she was doing while she was in New York. And, um, I had the opportunity, uh, after right after she left to go to Arizona, to help open this center, to become a part of the center. And so that was another big, huge shift. i had grown up in Pennsylvania. I lived in New York city and now suddenly an opportunity across the continent that I, I, to a place I'd never been, um, to a person I didn't know that well. Um, and again, (laughs) For me, ultimately, it was about trusting the feeling of what I, what I was, what, what was presented to me and saying, yes, this is what I feel the yes. And I'm terrified because I don't know where I'm going. But I think at every juncture there, it's always about stepping into a clarity about what's happening for me, not what's happening for everybody else, because everybody's going to have a perspective. But I had to stay in my perspective so that I could confront or and confront's not the right word because it wasn't like I would run into these walls of fear. It was just I was confronting these circumstances where I had to get through my fear to make decisions. I had to confront the fear of, uh, uh, am I going to move to another part of the country? I don't know these people, but the work that they're doing seems really right to me, and I want to be a part of that. And the rest of me going, but my family's here. Um, my, everybody that I know is here. I know nobody there how do i how do i deal with this again for me it was about feeling was about understanding that i was having the concern but the feeling of the thing i wanted to do was so much greater than the fear that i could put my attention there and then walk through the fear so when i was uh go ahead
0: so um i think one of the one of the questions that would be in the minds of everyone listening to this podcast is whether you know, you came out of ten, but then you got married uh, to a woman. Was the yeah. marriage a place of comfort that allowed you not to face a fear of the uh, alternative?
1: Uh, that's a good question. the The fear of that situation, honestly, was I didn't think I was going to make it till I was thirty years old. I didn't think I'd be alive at 30 because I came out with a bang. And so I fully, I mean, and having left home so early, I fully availed myself to, you know, thoroughly enjoy every aspect of my lifestyle. And when I met Mona, um, that was quite the extraordinary experience. She was a very, very powerful woman. She actually was as much a mentor and a teacher as she was my wife. Um she was twenty years, twenty-one years my senior. Um and uh I mean, I'd say it was, she's still alive, we're still friends, she's still an amazing human being. Um uh but we we embraced a unique relationship. Um, but it lasted, you know, we were together for twenty-four years because of the bond and the connection there. It was more it was it was not a way for me to get away from being gay. It was a way for me to learn about me because the only feeling that i had was the fear i wasn't going to stay alive that my course of life and and i should add to that that one of the things that also occurred that i was unclear that i didn't even realize was happening when i left new york to go to arizona i had also gotten very sick um i was uh i was infected with a, a deadly parasite in my in my colon called Cryptosporidium. And I didn't know it. I had gone on a brown rice diet in, at the time in New York. That was all the rage, thinking that that it was going to do me well, and it did because I was losing weight. And I thought I looked great. Um, but what I thought looked great was I went from 165 pounds living in New York to the day that I landed in Arizona, I was 104 pounds. Um, but my but my sense of myself was such that I didn't I didn't recognize how sick I was. And when Mona saw me having Because we had, we had not, I had not seen her in about a month, I think, from the time that she came to New York to the time that I went to Arizona. Um, I was very, very ill, and and so initially that was the focus was getting well, and in the process of that, and 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 that took well, probably about a year, um a good solid year. That was where I came to the juncture of saying, okay, I really need, I need to assess myself here because. This is a way close call, uh, and at that time AIDS was a huge deal. Didn't know anything about whether I was or was not infected. Didn't didn't think I was that sick. And then once we got past this the parasites, things seemed to be fine. Um, <clears throat> that ended up not being the case, but that was twenty five years later um, that I learned that. Um, so for me, the the. I don't see that at any point in my life, I was ever running from anything in the sense of hiding from myself. My fear was more existential in that I was struggling with with uh, how am I going to keep myself alive at this point because the choices I'd made prior to coming to Arizona um, are just not healthy. And so the choices at that point were, okay, how can I do this differently? And honest to God, had I known what I had to go through. After that, I don't know that I would have made that choice again, but I'm glad I didn't know ahead of time um, because there was so much to confront along the, along the path over the next 10 years that I, I, the most extraordinary journey ever, but I don't know, had I known that ahead of time, I would have said, yeah, let's go for it. Um, Not sure on that one. Does that, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah. So, so I'm going to shift a little bit here. um, Mm -hmm. You went through an experience, different phases of an experience that, you know, in hindsight and reflection, you recognized um, not only your fears, but along the way, what you needed to do to overcome those fears. But it seems to me that when you when you when you write a book and it says fear is a choice, it sounds to me, at least from from my perspective, that what you went through taught you in, in a wider way, in, you know, in, in a wider range or, or in a more um, inclusive way, how to overcome fear and how to apply it to different types of situations. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. And, and yes. And, and I'll try to, to be even clearer about that. So I say specifically, fear is a choice because it doesn't ever go away. Um, just because someone learns how to cope a different way doesn't mean that fear never shows up again. Because you work in consciousness or because you you believe a certain set of circumstances or your spirituality or whatever it is, it doesn't eliminate fear from your experience. What it does is it puts it as, as another object in the field of your awareness, is how I like to describe it. So, a situation shows up. Um, I'll give you an example. I was uh, a few uh, uh, when the pandemic started here. Uh, when the pandemic started, when uh, uh, I wasn't able to work, went on unemployment for here in Colorado um, for for whatever it was for six months. And at the end of that time, or actually it was coming around September, so maybe it was a little longer, but coming around September, I got a letter from. From uh, Colorado's unemployment board, saying um, we apparently made an error and we overpaid you for the last 19 weeks, so we want all that money back, <laughs> which was some like ridiculous sum of money—I don't know, nine thousand dollars or something—and um, of course, that immediate experience. I'm already not working. I've been living on unemployment for a period of time because I have—I I, I didn't have an income. And now they're telling me that they overpaid me. I have to pay them half the money back. Um, that, is, that, that will generate fear in probably just about anyone, and particularly in that circumstance. But here's where the thing that's remarkable to me is that, for me, that's, that becomes one choice of many choices in the context of the experience. My choice in that experience was to say, you know what, I'm not going to put any energy on this at all. I'm literally not going to waste one ounce of energy on this because this doesn't even make logical sense. So I'm just going to take my energy off it completely. I'm not going to be afraid about it. I'm not going to be sad about it. I'm literally going to do, use my practice. I'm going to go into meditation. I'm going to, it's gone. I'm taking that thought out of my brain. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to know about it. And that's what I did. And four days later, I got another letter from them that said, we realized we made an error um, and we've chosen and, and we have decided we're not going to be requesting that money back because you didn't misreport, we overpaid you. <laughs> so, because that was my whole thing was, how could you take money when I didn't do anything wrong? And um, and, and so that resolved and has now completely resolved. But I, what I know of, of the experience of fear is that I could have easily gone down the rabbit hole there. And been totally wrapped up in all of the drama and fear of my survival and where am I going to get this money and how is this going to, oh my God, what's going to go on? And I completely chose not to because it would not serve me or the situation in any way to come to resolution. But by taking my energy off of it completely, it evolved its own thing. And because I didn't put my energy into it, it didn't have an impact and, and the situation and I'm not I mean I I can
0: show you the paperwork it literally went away it, well, hold on um, so, so let's let, let's examine that because that's a very interesting thing that you're saying mm-hmm. I've said this on previous podcasts to us uh, not, not on the same subject but it came up I can't remember how it came up before so I have a few friends I only maybe a handful of them and I often wonder about them they are the types of individual, their personalities that I I almost want to say which is probably not true but it, it seems that way like they have no fear. When I say that they seem to find themselves in the most difficult of predicaments something that would cause me to not sleep for nights or weeks upon end. They seem to have an attitude of Okay, whatever, it'll work out, and whatever, and or I don't care. And they seem fearless, but what is crazy about it, and and it's something that I've I've never understood. And you know, maybe we're getting, or maybe this conversation has helped me get a little closer to it. Is that it always seems to work out? I mean, it's it's the most ridiculous thing because when I compare my my journey or my life or my thought process to them. I, I kind of say, I wish I could be like them, but I can't. I have the type of personality that, um, you know, when 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 I'm faced with that type of challenge and, and fear does set in, you know, how is this going to work out? How is this, you know, using your example, for instance, or someone says, you know, you got to find $4,000 in, in, in five days. And when you look at it in hindsight, in in many ways, you know, I'm I'm caught up in a a conundrum, so to speak, because when I examined those situations in the past, just using, you know, this is an example, the five days would go by and the situation works out. But I spent the five days worrying. I spent the five days in fear of what could happen uh, that never actually happened. And despite the fact that, that scenario with different circumstances has repeated itself more times than i can count in my life thus far it's it 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 it, it never seems to be enough to take me to a place of no fear or or or, or reversing the role so that i don't let fear dictate you know my thoughts, my demeanor, my mood, my everything else, until I can get past that obstacle or that challenge. And and so, there's, so what you're saying is, it almost feels like there's a there's another part to it because you chose not to worry, you chose not to have fear cripple you to an extent. And I have been through situations where I think fear has crippled me, has changed my mood, is. It's stolen days of, or, or, or you know, time of, of when I could have been happy doing something else. And um, I've tried to get to the point where I, I kind of say, well, you know what? I'm not going to worry about this because whatever was going to happen is going to happen. And I'm going to get past it. But that's easier said than done. <laughs> and, and, and and so, well, you know, I, I've, that exact scenario you're talking about where they called and said you owed money, blah, blah, blah. I've been in similar situations and I've been, you know, we all go through phases in life where things can be tough or whatever. And sometimes things are really tough. And then something like that happens and you like, you know, and, and, and be honest with you, I'm a man of, you know, of faith. I'm a man, as is a spiritual human being. And my, I've always turned to prayer and, and to, you know, to my God for, removal of those fears. And I think that's the only thing that has given me a sort of calm or peace in the middle of that storm. But these people I'm referring to are people who just go living, you know, they they go along merrily along their way, you know, like, you know, it's almost like someone walking towards the edge of a cliff and they're singing and dancing as they get to the edge of the cliff. And I'm standing there in horror, like you're going to fall off. And they get to the end of the cliff And all of a sudden the bridge appears and they never, they never worried about it.
1: I I think, I think the perception that you have of that may be, may be a little off um, in that. um, Again, I don't think that there is anyone who doesn't experience fear. Um, It's too prevalent in our culture. It's too prevalent in our world it's too prevalent in the messaging that we get every day in and out all the time it's it's in everything and in everywhere i think the difference is where we choose to put our attention and it's not something that it's, it it becomes a point where it's like flipping a, excuse me like flipping a switch but it takes it takes conscious effort in the sense that you have to be mindful of your own process so you know, you were talking about uh, you know you go into those the the cycles and things, and and I know exactly what you're talking about because there are some circumstances that when confronted with, when I'm confronted with them, they still stimulate a physical response. There's a moment of when I got that letter, you know, my gut fell down to my into you know down into my butt, you know, I was like, it was it was a, a moment of of instant panic because that's that's what happens in those situations. But it's what happens next that I think informs how you get to that, quote unquote, fearless space. And that is, in the moment you recognize the feeling and you say, ah, okay, this isn't going to serve this situation. So where can I put my attention differently? For me in the moment, it was, this needs to get out of my head. I need to to banish this because I don't want to put any energy on it. Other circumstances may not be that extreme. Sometimes it's more of a situation where – I'm I'm trying to think of an example, a different example here that I can use for you. Um, But the idea is you feel the feeling in the moment and you say, okay, is this going to get me where I want to go? Well, no. Okay, so how can I shift my perspective? Because see, ultimately, I see this – our world I see is 7.5 to 8 billion unique worlds inhabiting one planet because I believe firmly that we all create that reality because what we see with our eyes and smell and taste and touch in the world is simply a reflection of the perspective that we carry. The perspective that we've built over our lifetime through our belief systems, our experiences, our emotions, our relationships, all those things have created a perspective. And from that perspective, you create a reality. And that reality is always evolving because your perspective is always hopefully growing and changing. One of the major changes is is to be able to begin to see all of it as objects in the field of your awareness. So that letter was an object in the field of my awareness. And then when I had the reaction, I was able to say, okay, this is an object in the field of my awareness. Do I want to go here or do I want to find an alternative? And in the moment, it can feel so intense that you're not even sure there's an alternative. So then you pick anything, anything to take your attention off the thing that's causing the charge. So, you know, watch a stupid cartoon, go for a walk, uh, listen to your favorite song, do something that will take your mind completely out of that moment. And then once you're out of that moment, you can can objectify the situation. And, And when I say objectify, that's part of what I've experienced in the process of meditation is that you become more the observer of the experience instead of the victim of an experience, so to speak.
0: But well, well, so, how does how does the so how does the part of part of that scenario that I think is a um a a a definite part of that whole um experience of fear has to be the thought of consequences of what has occurred. So, for instance, if we're using the same scenario and we're sticking with your scenario by getting the letter saying that you owed X, Y, Z dollars, and maybe there was a timeline on it or whatever the case may be, you have to be, or at some point at least, uh, prior to making the choice uh, to go in the opposite direction of fear, you had to say, well, okay, let's just use a simple hypothetical if I had to if if I had to pay two thousand dollars and my rent was or my mortgage or whatever was two thousand dollars and two thousand dollars is all I had, and both situations were critical, then your mind would tend to go to, okay, I paid these people, I can't pay my mortgage, I pay my mortgage, I can't pay these people. What am I going to do?" And 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 so part of that whole dynamic is worry. Worrying, um, which I think is is directly part of the characteristic of fear. So it
1: is. And it's also worry also comes from a place of thinking you're powerless. Worryness worry in my experience is, is 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 also a level of fear, but it's a different level of fear because if you peel back a lot of the feelings that we have about things or about what we experience um what you find is that there's there's a nice story in the negative experience there's a story that we create about why this is not a good thing but what's underneath that story is fear um the fear I'm not going to survive the fear I'm going to look stupid the fear I'm going to uh, I'm not going to have any money the fear that I'm getting that I'm getting screwed by the government the fear that I mean there there's any number of 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 things in there. And many of them may not actually be mine per se. They could just be part of the mass consciousness because I have the government coming to my door saying, this is the situation. And we are, have been entrained to believe that if the government shows up at your door with a, with a problem with you, that's a thing to be afraid of. When in reality, that's not necessarily true it's just the it's just the focus that it's been given because that way people stay afraid and if we stay afraid we stay compliant if we stay compliant we don't resist if we don't resist then you know i mean it goes it goes on and on in that direction again i don't say that as a form of a conspiracy i say it as a recognition of how things are constructed so that you can see them for what they are right so that you can see that The government is populated with people who have rule books and things that they're supposed to follow about how they handle things. Um, But when the situation comes to it, you have to peel back the layers a little bit. And sometimes that's not comfortable, but it is is the, the, the quickest and easiest way to put yourself into the observer or to get yourself to a place of looking at it from an objective perspective. The other thing I wanted to share about that story was the reason that I chose to ignore it for 4 days was not because i wasn't going to attend to it but i was not willing to take that energy into my attending to it and i was not going to attend to it until i was clear that my energy was clear does that make sense
0: yes it does so, so
1: i left it i left it open ended and i realized when you explained it back to me that he didn't clarify it wasn't like and then the magic happened although it did but it wasn't because i wasn't going to go there it's because i took my energy away from it to allow it to to resolve itself and it did fortunately or i would have had to gone back in to have the phone conversation but i had to change the state i was in so that i wasn't carrying that because to me carrying the fear into the situation is not going to get the result i want because i'm in the way
0: right me and my
1: fear are in the way of the result
0: so i'm so if I'm, if I'm, you know so I think what I want to clarify for my audience and and make sure that they get from this conversation is removing that fear is there's no direct um link or no direct relationship to the result of the situation. It's more about the path you take as the situation evolves and the effect you allow it to have on yourself. Does that make sense?
1: Well, let me, let me try this back and tell me if I'm gathering, getting what you're saying. So in the way that I see it, I, I, create, I create my reality, whatever it is, whatever shows up is showing up as a result of some conscious or unconscious things that I have going on in my world. If I respond negatively to that, I'm responding negatively to my own creation. So I'm adding a level of resistance to a process that already comes with some level of resistance because of the nature of it, of what it is, right? I'm just saying what my choice is to not feed that energy or feed that experience more story, more negative energy, or more of something that's not going to create the right resolution or create a resolution that could be win-win instead of me losing. Right, and, and I don't know what that's going to, I don't know what that's going to look like. Right. I don't have any, all I know is in that moment, I have to change my energy so that I'm not contributing to a result that I don't want. Because if I'm in fear, my focus is on a negative aspect. That means my, my vibration, my energy is focused negatively. So the only outcome that can happen has to be in that energy of some kind of fear. So all I'm saying is don't focus there. Focus somewhere else. Focus on something that feels better. If this situation is the situation, it doesn't that it's still there. That piece of paper is still in my world. That piece of paper that says you owe $9,000 is still sitting right in front of me, but I don't have to attend to it with all kinds of weird energy. And so I choose not to. I say, I'm going to put you over here because I'm not, I'm not in a space to deal with you and I need to deal with me. So when I bring the best me back to this situation, then I'll feel good about how, how I'm, the energy I'm giving to it. Um, I, I, have, I, I have lots of those. I, had a, I, had a, I, I got a ticket driving home from uh, – I was working with clients in, in Tucson, and I was driving home from Tucson to San Diego when I was living in San Diego. And my car was acting funny for about 25 miles, and the, something was wrong with the, with the uh, cruise control, and I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> and I came over this rise, and I was going about 12 miles over the speed limit, not realizing that the cruise control was not working properly. And there was a, cop, a police officer right over the ride, and, and so I got pulled over. And so I got a ticket. It was not going to be pretty. I went to uh, a few months later to go to court. And I, I have a process that I use um, uh, on a regular basis as part of a breathing process, but it helps me to what I call shift state which is what I've been talking about all along. It's just changing my perspective, changing my energetic perspective in the moment of something so that I can open myself up to other possibilities that I'm not seeing if I'm limited by fear. So I get to the police station or I get to the courthouse to go into meet, And I don't know what the officer looks like because it's been months and I don't remember what he looks like. And I'm attempting, I want to speak to him beforehand to see if he'll ameliorate some of this, because if he doesn't, I'm screwed again. Because it's a, it was it's a, it was a felony speeding ticket because it was like 12 or 15 miles over the speed limit. So as I get to the court, I'm terrified. I'm deal again. I'm dealing with I'm dealing with cops. I'm dealing with judges. I'm dealing with government. I'm you know <laughs> what. Oh! And so I thought, all right, I got to get myself right here. So I stepped outside and did my process to get myself in order and, you know, do my breathing and, and, and just spent five minutes doing that before I went in the room. And I went into the courthouse and I was sitting there and I kept watching all the police officers go by, hoping I'd recognize the guy who needed to see, and I didn't see him. And I thought, mm, okay, I'll just stay focused here. The courtroom doors were opening. We had to go into the courtroom now with all the other people. And as I was going into the courtroom, I saw the police officer was standing in the hallway that I didn't realize was there. And I said, okay, I got to just do it. Just step up to him and say, just ask him if he's willing to, to, to entertain you. So I did. I stepped right up to him, and I said, hi, I think you're here for me. My name's Jim. And, and um, I said, but I have a question, and I, and I understand you may not want to hear the story, but I, I believe there's some extenuating circumstances that were happening with my car I would like to share with you if you're willing to hear it. Um, to at least knock the ticket back down to just a, a ticket so I can pay a fine instead of a ticket where I'm going to lose my license or get some kind of felony thing on it. And he looked at me, and he picked up the ticket, and he looked at the ticket, and he turned it over, and he said, Well, Jim, here's my problem. Um, I'm looking at your ticket, and I didn't make any notes on my ticket about what happened like I usually do. I usually make notes on the ticket so I can remember the situation, and I didn't make any notes. And quite frankly, I don't feel comfortable pushing this ticket when I can't support my story with facts that I know about the situation. So I'm going to ask for the ticket to be dismissed. And he walked in the courtroom. He walked up to the judge and said, I'm going to move to dismiss the ticket. And he did. And I walked out, didn't pay a dime, didn't have a ticket. It was done. But it was, again, I attribute all of that to being able to stop myself from going into the fear and choosing a different perspective to help me walk through that as clearly as possible. And the results always change, you know, and even if the result is a bad result in a way that, you know, doesn't resolve where the ticket goes away, I'm still in the space of recognizing that I did everything I could. And so ultimately it's almost like the the result has to change because I'm not fighting against myself.
0: So I'm going to stop you there for a moment because I'm yep. thinking as you're speaking and I can't help but relate certain things back to again, I explained to you that I'm a man of faith. And mm-hmm. what you're what you are describing to those who you know believe in, in you know in, in or those who have faith or who believe in God Mm-mm. is actually have is actually faith over fear. In, in the world of spirituality, that is faith over fear. That is choosing mm-hmm. to believe, to have faith in, in that the situation will resolve, rather than fearing what can happen and what will happen if it doesn't. And without getting into that, because that can be, you know, that can be a whole podcast by itself. Yes, but the reason I'm, I'm I'm using that as a segue because I want to touch on two other things before we wrap up the episode, which is and I think this is a really heavy duty subject, and and where I'm going to go for the for the last part of this recording, I think is 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 probably even heavier because it's today's world, and I'm going to touch on mm-hmm. two things. One is more controversial than the other. So I'm gonna start with okay. the pandemic. I'm gonna start with fear. Fear of and there are people that have you know, it's 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 strange as you look at the population, if you were to just sit and watch how people are reacting. You have people who are walking around, and I'll tell you my own personal story about it. I I said to one of the pastors in my church when the pandemic first started in March, I said to him, I don't believe that I will get the coronavirus. I simply don't believe it. Mm -hmm. The next week I had COVID. Okay. Um but but and I just said that uh, you know to, as an add-on but basically you have a set of people who are who seem fearless and and I think that their fear is actually unsubstantiated because there are many people who have died who have who who, who believe that they, they wouldn't get it. And then you have those people who are living in complete fear. Who have isolated themselves? Who have have locked themselves away from society? Almost who um, have become? I don't know if they were germophobes before, but they have, you know they've gone to an extreme. And that fear is is you know could I I think it can be defined in in different ways for different people. Part of it may be the fear of you know, haven't seen someone on a ventilator, the fear of suffering. Um. You know, the fear of, and this is a big one, even though, you know, none of us gets out of here alive, the fear of dying. And these things cripple people, and they have been crippling people. These things have changed. This pandemic and the fears associated with it have changed lives forever, and, and, and some of them in 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 not a good way at all. What would you say in terms of your um, intimate knowledge with fear to th- to those people who are living with that fear right now, not just for a short period, because this has gone on a lot longer. In March, we would have um or, or February at the end of this month, we probably would have you know, hit a year of of yeah. something go- like this going yeah. on. What would you say to those people? That's the first of the sec. The second one might be a little tougher, but let's start with that one.
1: Okay okay so here's the thing about the pandemic on a broad stroke i think the i think the pandemic in and of itself is sort of a physical representation of of fear um and as i talked about before we're seven and a half billion unique worlds living on one planet and the challenge with anything with energy, with individuals, with people, is realizing that there is no homogenization. And what I mean by that is we are seven and a half billion unique sparks of the divine. I firmly believe, honestly, for me, in God. I have a very wonderful relationship with that energy from my perspective. But I see that very differently than most do in that I don't see myself separate from God. I see myself as an expression of God. So that changes my perspective because I don't have to, I don't have a middleman to go through. I'm not trying to reference something outside of myself to find the strength inside myself to be who I am. So when you're confronted with something, we are confronted with so many things in the world right now that we have no way to wrap our brains around. Our, our small minds can't, can't, comprehend, which is why you have so many people doing so many different things. But, and when I say different things, I mean, those that say, oh, this is no big deal, I can do this. And, and the other ones, like you say, that are that are isolating to the point that they're, they're completely separating from people. But we all individually have a relationship with this experience. And we have to understand what our relationship is with it to change it. So what do I mean by that? so it's no different to me than the letter i got from the colorado unemployed people it's it's the same thing in a different scale meaning you're going to read that differently than i'm going to read that you're going to have an experience based on your perspective about that thing you have to understand that relationship to change your relationship with fear because it's yours it's not theirs it's not his it's not the Almighty's, it's not anybody's, it's 100% yours. Your experience is 100% yours. So the good news is that when you recognize that, then you can step back and go, I don't know much about this. You know, um, I, I had an experience uh, a few weeks ago about this pandemic that kind of floored me because it was a perspective change. The only perspective and the only reference point that we in, at this current time in our world have to anything close to this, this scale of a pandemic is this 1918 Spanish flu thing. Well, not many of us, very few of us were alive for it. And very few of us had any experience with it except black and white photos of what that looked like, which if you look at any book anywhere of anything about the Spanish flu, they're all black and white photos of miserable people having a miserable experience. And here we are living through a pandemic that's worse than that pandemic or as much as, as, as big scale as that pandemic. And yet it's in living color. I posit that the, that while technology may be different, I don't think the experience was different. I think that all of the people then were going through what all of the people now are going through. And one of the ways to not dig dig into fear is to not make up stories about what you don't know. Our egos and our brains, our minds want to understand and want to comprehend our experience. So we make up stories based on our perspective and experience in order to make ourselves feel better or feel more understanding of the circumstance. And what I would say is stop doing that. Don't give yourself permission to make up a story about what you have no clue about simply accept the fact that you have no clue. And once you're there, then you can say, now, am I going to be afraid of it or am I just going to observe it? Am I going to, you know like I say to people all the time, I'm like, just put the stupid mask on people. We're not talking about a whole lifetime of mask wearing and who cares? Right now this is what we do. This is what this is what we know about. Good bad or indifferent. If you're fighting it, you're putting in resistance. If you're putting in resistance it's because you're afraid. You may not be afraid of the same things that I'm afraid of, but fear is what's driving your choice. Your fear of the unknown. Your fear of, I gotta have control of this. No, you don't.
0: Wow. You simply
1: need to be able to respond to it.
0: That is is probably the most unique and powerful perspective I've heard to date. And I hope that there, you know, there's thousands of people who will listen to this episode because I think that that is probably the most helpful perspective. You know, I think they will hear. You know, we we're we're the population is hearing from medical people from a purely medical perspective. They're hearing from politicians from a purely uh, governing or political perspective. They're hearing from business people, from a purely business perspective. What you just added was the human perspective. And I think that's the most helpful, most powerful, most realistic perspective that we can hold on to. So I, I think may that I add, is,
1: May I add one little piece
0: to that? Sure. I,
1: I just want to say that... that... When you understand, so when you change your relationship, and even in the process of changing your relationship with fear, it, it alters so much, and it changes the perspective that you live from, that it isn't about, I have to do this, it's about, I get to do this. So here we are in the middle of this major thing, this pandemic, you say, okay, if, I'm not, if I choose not to be, if I, if I use this time, because see, everything in the world is pointing to the same thing go inside. Everything is saying the same thing. Go inside. <laughs> so if the message is go inside, why not just go inside for a little while? But the inside that I'm talking about is the inside of self. I heard the message, pay attention. I heard the message, go in, find you in this time, because what's true is we've become, you brought them all up. We've become so polarized by politics and by beliefs and viewpoints and and things that really don't matter. They're they're just noise. It's just story. You know, the people I've said for years that the person who runs our government, the president of the United States, in my lifetime, in my 56 years, that person has never altered my decisions in my life. That person has never changed my decisions in my life. Because that's a whole world unto itself. We can choose to indulge it. We can choose to engage it. But as soon as we do, we engage all of it. You can't engage a piece of it. When you take on a consciousness, when you, when you embrace conspiracy, you are taking on an enormous consciousness of fear. I don't care what the conspiracy is. Ultimately, they're all driven by fear. There's yeah. no conspiracy that isn't driven by fear
0: of I some agree kind. I that. Yes. And so
1: So it isn't and it isn't that there isn't stories that are true, but I, I'm sorry, I know I got carried away there. Um so that, yeah, my point is just that that to to bring it full circle is just recognizing all the peripherals are just that you are what matters. And if you are not in alignment with you and connected to that highest part of yourself, then you're going to have conflict and you're going to have things that confront you that you don't know what to do with. But the more you go in, the more you build relationship with the self, then you can look at this. You would be amazed at what I've accomplished in the last nine months in a pandemic. Um, because I didn't choose it to be a, a fearful time. I chose it to be a time of growth. And, and it's been nothing but that. Yeah. And everyone has that ability. I'm not special.
0: Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if you can hold on to the <laughs> message. Yes but i'm i'm so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna end on on the second part of what i was gonna ask i think um this part of the conversation will be will be a good way to to close out the episode and that is i i think in terms of i can't end this episode talking about fears of choice without talking about the systemic prejudice that society has been experiencing over the last, I want to say a few years, but most recently that has come to an explosive point. And I'm talking about, um, things like, you know, the black lives matter movement, um, the acts of, of violence against, uh, people who make a, a, a choice for a different lifestyle or their different choices like like you might have experienced in in your journey and i say this because you know it's it's been a big thing in the news and and when you listen to what people who have been subjected to uh what i want to call systemic uh prejudice systemic racism even though people would want to say it doesn't exist <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to choose the black lives movement specifically for this conversation only because, it, you know, w- w- when you listen carefully and, and I choose that too, because I myself have been a victim of, 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 uh, such experiences at some point. And I've struggled with it because I know people across the, you know, I know people from all parts of the equation who are actually good people and there's good and bad as, as, as that's easy to discern. Um, Well, people talk specifically about fear of being, being black. You, know, they, you have things like driving while black, fear of being pulled over. Uh, and, and, you're, and, and the funny thing is, and I say this without reservation, I have a lot of friends who are police officers, law enforcement, who are the nicest people I know. But I've also been in a situation where i've I've been pulled over and in fear um simply because maybe I start the conversation and I do my due diligence to speak to that officer as as a, you know yes, sir, no, sir," and what I get back is not the same, um whether it be from the point of profiling or whether it simply is prejudice. I'll take it one step beyond that because it goes, I mean, that is the big thing in the news, but it goes further into employment and advancement in your career and all these other things. And, And if you experience enough of those scenarios as one person, you develop a fear. You're almost afraid of yourself at that point or of who you are and your ability to to, to you know to to make progress you know each and every day you wake up what what you know what are your thoughts in terms of the fear that people feel and again i i've gone on a broad spectrum i've i've used the black lives matter movement because obviously that is a huge um explosion that has been around the world but there are people who you know there we we watch situations people who are you know people who are gay who who get the same um prejudice in in you know in their own way in the same treatment and the same you know, brutality at times, whether it be at the hands of anyone, you know, so on, on the subways, people got shoved on the, on the, on New York city onto the tracks in front of a train because they, you know, they seemed to, you know, someone decided that the way they behaved or whatever, that they were gay and they didn't like them. Um. So I, I and I, am doing this because I want to be inclusive of, you know, not just focus on the, on, on BLM for this moment, but, that whole fear of one human being versus another because you can't be comfortable with who you are and because you can't be a part of a level playing field, whether it be because of your choices in life or the color of your skin. Talk about that.
1: Um, well, again, I think I'm going to have a little bit of a unique perspective. I'll start this by saying that there is no part of any of it um, that I think is uh, good. Um, meaning, I, I don't think anyone should be treated that way. I don't think anyone should be seen as less than. Um, we're all human beings on this planet. We all get to inhabit space on this planet. But when it comes to, and and this is where it gets this is where it gets a little tricky because <sighs> all movement. A lot of times movements are based in fear, in some form of fear or anger or, or a negative emotion. And I'm not saying that the, that the concept like Black Lives Matter is significant. It is important. And it is a message that I think needs to penetrate. Um, but it's a message of inclusion. It's a message of, of we are all one. It's a message of we are all part of the same family sometimes and a lot of times as humans we get stuck in the stories about and we end up being in a fight that may or may not be ours but we never bring it home meaning to the same to the same question you asked last time if you are operating in fear you will attract things that support your fear the challenge is that if you have been confronted in that fashion, is to stand in understanding of you in relationship to that. Because in my world, I create my own reality. So if I create a reality that shows me that I am abused, that I am am someone worthy of abuse, that's what has to change in me. The behavior is not acceptable. And there still may be need to be consequences for the behavior, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to take it to me and say, wait a second. Why is this coming in my world? Because as long as we keep it about being black and about being Brown and about being uh, other other, then the, the, the resistance will never go away. The fight will never stop. When every individual is able to embrace who they are and the beauty and the love that they come from and the extraordinariness that they are, then the ability to create circumstances where you are abused become less likely. Again, it's not, but that's not a victim shaming thing. And this is where it gets really—it's a tight line. It's a—it's a tough line because people would go, oh, "Yeah, but, but what about the victims? I have a challenge with that." Because the situation happened as a result of the individuals involved. It, isn't a, it may be in a mass conscious way that it's happening, but it's happening through individuals. So it has to change through individuals. Making a law that forces people to act a certain way will ameliorate things, but it will not change the core of the issue because the core of the issue is driven by fear. It's driven by I'm not enough. If you know you're enough, if you know all of who you are is a value, then you're not. You are not emanating an energy that says I'm less than. Prove it. Show me. You know, it, it, and, I, and and that's not meant in any way callously. It if if everyone had the ability, everyone has the ability. If everyone made the choice. In, in the moment to find that love in themselves, for themselves in a way that was tangible to them, it would radically change. And so I say this all the time when you change your relationship with fear, it changes the entire world.
0: So basically because you're
1: not only changing
0: gut. Well ba- basically what you're saying is that and I want to make sure that that people don't misconstrue what you're saying. what you're saying is based the change is needed in terms of fear on both sides of the equation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a choice. Everyone has a choice. The people that, the people that do not believe that that kind of unification is okay, they got their own demons because we are not sourced in hate. We don't come from a place of hate. We aren't born into this world in hate nor are we born in this world in fear we learn it if it can be learned it can be unlearned if it can be learned it, something new can be learned so because those things because we don't come into the world in those states and we've learned them over time and we've grown into them they become a part of our consciousness and when they become a part of our consciousness it becomes what we what we radiate in the world and if we are radiating any form of fear, then something will reflect that to you, depending on the level of it in your world, in your perception. Um, again, I think it's a multi tiered thing, but I think, like any shift in consciousness, any massive change in consciousness has to start with powerful individuals who have come into a clarity about the energy that can help others come into th- their own clarity and create a tipping point that changes. The momentum of that energy. If we try to fight it from the from the governmental perspective of 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 um, government laws, and not that those are bad things, but if they're not if they're coming from the same fear, it's not going to save the situation or change the situation. It'll ameliorate it a little bit, like it's done since forever. You know, every time every time there's been a an uprising of sorts. Something changes a little bit to ameliorate it and everybody goes, okay, that's the best we can do because it's not being taken internally. It's not being brought into the heart of each person and saying, no, that's completely unacceptable, but you don't believe it's unacceptable yet. So we have to help you realize that, that you deserve so much more and yeah. you are worth so much more and you can create so much more. And that's what I think. My, for me, in the way the work of my work is in changing people's perspective of fear is to bring them to that place that your potential, your potentiality is off the charts. And if you don't believe that yet, it's time for, to figure out what's in the way of you believing that.
0: I think that's a powerful way for us to to wrap this one up. I think that's a powerful statement. I think that you know the 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 mess the message and all of this is sort of each and every one of us has a role to play. Each and every one of us can overcome that fear. And if we can all do it in, you know, in in dealing with our own fears and our own demons, that's where the most powerful change will uh, come from. So before we sign off, uh, tell us uh, your book, um, where can we get it? Where can the where can my audience purchase your book?
1: Fear is a Choice is available on Amazon, um Barnes and Noble, um Indiebound. Uh it's also uh, uh, uh Kindle. Um is uh the webpage which you can learn more about. I have video there that talks more about the book as well. Um and the links are there as well.
0: Fantastic. Jim, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on 247 Real Talk. Um, this was real talk. This was a powerful message for those who really sit down and listen to this episode. Um, this is what the podcast is all about and is designed to do. And this is a conversation that's very real to the times that we live in on every level. So thank you so much for taking the time out, especially at this late hour, in Eastern Standard Time and and for sharing your powerful message, your knowledge, your life story, and basically the message of fear is a choice with our audience. It was a pleasure having you on.
1: Pleasure talking to you, Julian. Thank you very much. Thank you Enjoyed so much. Enjoyed this very much.
0: I want to say a very special thank you to my guest, Jim Case, for sharing his life story, for sharing his message about fear, to giving us and sharing information with us that allow us to make the choice not to be fearful. I want to say thank you so much to my audience for your continued support, reminding you that you can listen to every podcast, every episode of 247 Real Talk, on your favorite podcast app. You can also head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net where you can listen to the episodes and read more information about the guests. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time,